Our scripture this morning, if you see your, your place there, you're thinking, how long can I stand? Uh, and how slow is Ron going to read the scriptures? But we're going to read a selection of these, not all, uh, every single verse. So follow along with me, if you will. It's the book of Genesis, and then finally we move to the New Testament to sort of get a, a capsuling of what labor and work is all about. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and every other creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was good. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. He rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And then the fall, the Lord asked, the Lord called to the man and said to him, have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Then the pronouncing of the curse. To the woman, God said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I command you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain shall you eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you are taken, you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And then the call at the conclusion. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do, work heartily. As for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, you are serving the Lord Christ. The word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Work, labor, finds its origin in the character of God. Jesus, if you recall, in one of his discourses that we studied this last year when we were looking at the Gospel of John, Jesus said, my father works and I work. That's the language of apprenticeship. Jesus, God in the flesh, is an apprentice to the master, the father. God the father works, Jesus said, and I work. He said, I do the works of my father. Jesus is simply fulfilling the role that he had as the true man, the second Adam, 
For the first Adam had failed in his fall and in his failure. And work which God had ordained, which God had enacted, which God himself had labored and done, became not the joy and the glory and the expression of creativity and the expression of God-likeness that it was supposed to be. But labor, work, became toil, drudgery. Now, to set this up, I'm going to have to take a few minutes to take you on a wonderful but kind of a wild ride through some notions, some ideas of Genesis. The book of Genesis, by the way, the first four chapters will tell you about everything you need to know about economics. The Bible says that in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. God is the first producer. The earth is the first product. The heavens and the earth, the creation, and man is the consumer. And there is a finitude to the creation. There's a scarcity and thus you have established the laws of scarcity, the law of supply and demand, and all the rules of productivity, everything you do. You don't need Karl Marx or Barack Obama to explain economics to you. The Bible does. And let me just sketch it out and show you what it's talking about. The earth, when God created the earth, was without form and void. The creative activity of God was to take that which was without form and give it form, and to take that which was without, which was void, and fill it, that which was empty, and fill it up. And that's really what labor and work is all about, is to take that which has no form, and to form it, and to take that which is void or empty, and to fill it. That's really what the creative work of God is all about, and that's what he calls us to do as stewards on the earth in our labors, is to fill the void with fruitfulness and to give form by separation. Let me take you on a little excursus for just a moment. What does it mean by separation? Distinguishing between things, separation, is what God uses as the device to give form. To say, this is this and not that. This is this and not that. To make a difference and a distinction and a separation is what gives form to something. Let me illustrate it by looking at the days of creation. On the first day, the Lord divided, separated the light from the darkness. On the second day, He separated the expanse of the waters below from the waters above. He made a separation. He made a distinction in these two. He separated also on the second day the sea from the dry land. He took the abundance of water and he made a separation between the sea and the dry land. On day three, he introduced the vegetation into the earth and had different kinds. He distinguished and separated a certain uh, taxonomy of of, uh, this is that and not that. This is a particular seed, a particular kind, and he separated and distinguished out all of the vegetation. On the fourth day, he separated the day from the night. He had already separated the light from the darkness, but now he gives vehicles to express and to continue the light and the darkness. 
On day five, he separated the animals, the animals of the air, the birds of the air from the fish and the animals of the sea. On day six, God created all the other creatures, which predominantly were land creatures. And he distinguished on the sixth day between all the land creatures and his crowning creation, man, humanity, made a difference between them. On the seventh day, the Lord took that one day, the seventh day, and separated it from the other days. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day he rested, and he said it was to be a day of rest. It was to be a day of holiness, meaning separation. That's how God gave form to the earth. And let me just mention a couple of things. If you fail to separate those things that God has separated, you are kind of confused. If you don't separate man as distinct from the animals, you get caught up in the animal rights movement just a little too much. If you don't separate the things that God separated, you get go astray. When God created man on the sixth day, He created them male and female. Humanity is male and female, separated, two parts. If you get to thinking that male and male is okay together, you're on the wrong track. God could have easily reached down, got another handful of dirt, and created another man, but he didn't. He went to the man, caused a deep sleep to fall upon him. As it were, put him to sleep, put him into a state of death so that he could raise again the fullness of the creature. And the fullness of the creature was the rib taken from the man. God separated from the man his partner, the one. All the animals had been named. All the animals had been brought before Adam. All creation was there for man to observe as Adam looked at it. And still it was incomplete because there was no separation. And God distinguished Adam by giving him a help that was suitable for him. A help in doing what? Well, a help in obeying the creation mandate. Because God had commanded that man be fruitful and multiply. In fact, he told that to every element of the creation, to the plants, multiply seed, to the animals, multiply the fish, the birds, the whole creation. God wanted, he wanted to fill it, not just give it form, but to fill it, to fill the void. And on day five, God blessed all the animals, and he set forth then all his creation in an order. He had now given it form. No longer could you look at the earth and say it was without form. It had magnificent form. No longer could you look at the earth and say it was void because the Lord had given it fullness, reproductive capacity. And man had been created, the human had been created. By the way, he had been separated from the ground. The Lord had taken a lump of the clay itself, the ground itself, and had formed from Adamah, the ground, he had formed Adam, Adam. And he has as his creature now someone that he said is made in his image and likeness. The image of God is a faithful representation. That's what an image is. It's not a facsimile, but it is a faithful representation. But it is a representation. It is not identical with it. It is a likeness. It is not an identity. In other words, man is like God, but he is not God. 
Man bears the attributes of God as they have been bestowed upon him through creation. He is now bearing the life of God, having had breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. He is to communicate. He is to rule in the place of God. He is the one now that is to be God's vice-regent upon the earth and to exercise the dominion upon the earth to continue the multiplying and the filling and the forming of the earth. God gave the whole creation to man. He gave all the vegetation, all the trees, everything everything you possibly imagine, everything that man needed for his existence, for all of human history, was put into the earth on creation morning. There is enough soil and arable land to feed the multiple generations of millennia. There is enough air to breathe and a reproducing of the air. One oxide turning to another oxide and turning over. The Lord put the processes in place to sustain humanity over the centuries and over the millennium. For as long as God has it planned that it should be so. Some people get often worried about how we're not going to have a planet in so many hundreds of years because we're doing this, we're doing that. And they get all caught up in all the world. We may not need it. The Lord may return and there may be a new heaven and a new earth. We shouldn't fret about the centuries and the millennia to come and the provisions of the earth. We're to have a stewardship over the earth. God said have dominion over the earth. And we've spent most of human history having a dominion over each other rather than having dominion over the earth. What does it mean to have dominion over the earth? It means that you must extract extract from the earth. At first it was a joy. God separated Adam from all of the earth and put him in a special place in a garden. He created a garden with the rivers and the trees and all the beautiful things we see there. Put him in a special place. Put him in a temple to be a priest and to worship the Lord and to walk with God. And work was a joy. It was just living out the life of God in the unfallen creature. I wish we could have seen it. I wish we could have known what it was like in those days, in the the days before the fall, the supralapsarian days, according to our theology, (laughs) the days before the fall, the sin, the ruin, must have been beautiful. Must have been wonderful. But you know the story, and we don't have time to recount it, but you know the story of Satan's temptation of the woman, and then the woman gives the food to the man. And we had here in our text the confrontation that the Lord had when he came to walk with them. And, and uh, by the way, in the garden there, Adam was the first priest. He sought to cover his sins with a kafar, an atonement, a covering with fig leaves, by the way. That wouldn't do it. Only God could provide the kafar, the covering, the atonement. And that, of course, came when the Lord slew the animal and shed the blood and made the skins and the garments to cover the nakedness of the fallen pair in the garden. 
and God pronounces a curse. First upon fruitfulness. Oh, you're going to have children. You will be fruitful. You will multiply, but it's going to hurt. It's going to be travail. It's going to be miserable. It's not going to be a pleasant experience at all. It's going to be traumatic. In fact, it's going to bring about that condition known as labor. Isn't that ironic? Labor. Now you're going to not work and produce for the joy, but it's going to be labor. And so the woman, mankind in toto, and women in particular, were cursed with the pain of childbearing, of fruitfulness. And he looked at the man and he says, oh, you're going to continue to keep the garden and dress the garden and do the work that is in the vegetation and in the fields and all, but it's going to be tough. It's going to be from the sweat of your face. And so now the great toil of mankind is to pull from the earth his existence. And all of labor, the base of all economy is extraction. Did you know that? Have you ever thought about that? The base of all economy is extraction. In other words, the first activity that must be done is you've got to pull it out of the earth. You've got to get the fish out of the sea. You've got to get the wood out of the forest. You've got to get the minerals out of the ground. You've got to pull up the oil. You've got to dig out the gold. Everything that is a base for an economy is a toil. You've got to sow and you've got to reap in the fields. You've got to work in the orchards. You have to work in the vegetation of the gardens. Nothing in the world is harder work than logging, mining, farm work, labor, raising in animals, cattle, hard work. By the way, let me say that a society, the further a society gets away from the extraction industry, the further the society begins to move into economic uncertainty. If you've got a large group of people mining, farming, doing forestry work, doing the work of extraction, laboring in the fields, in the orchards, in the gardens, bringing forth produce, you might call that, You're bringing forth produce. You've got a strong economy. But you've got a majority of your population working with the sweat of their face. When a population gets to where they don't want those industries and don't want to do much about those industries and want to export those industries, get those industries away, the society becomes economically weaker. And then when that society is willing to bring in others to do the labor, that's the sweat of the face. That society is substantially economically weaker. Because God does not want us to run from the curse. He wants us to embrace the curse and to honor Him in the midst of it because of the redemptive work that Christ has done. That's what that last passage is all about. It talks about how when you work, whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. Your labor now is not in vain in the Lord. Your labor now is to the glory of God. As some of you know, for 20 years, I was not in the pulpit preaching very much. I did a little bit, but not much. I was a swimming pool, service guy. 
I worked in 107 degree weather outside all day long in people's backyards, cleaning their pools, repairing their pumps, sweating. I don't know how many times I sopped two or three towels with sweat on my face in the course of a day, poured ice water on my head time and again to beat the Texas heat. But every time I would think of it, I would think, Ron, you're out here sweating and working because you're a sinner. (laughs) That's why you're having to do that. You're a sinner. You've disobeyed the Lord. You're under the curse. You've got to pull your living out of this industry. You have got to do that thing that is put upon you. But can you rejoice in the Lord? Absolutely. All during those same hours, I had a big old tape recorder hanging on my belt, and I was listening to all Christian tapes and radio and learning, memorizing Scripture. I had a little box of Scriptures in my pocket. You know, they'd be all sweaty. I'd pull them out and try to learn and review verses. Redeeming the time, working. Even though it was hard and it was menial work, I honored and tried to honor the glory of the Lord in my work. My wife once told me, I'm going to tell this Paula, (laughs) because I think it's the essence of what it's all about. Paula said to me, and I know men, you've never heard your wife start a sentence like, you know what your problem is? (laughs) That's the way Paula put it to me. You know what your problem is, Ron? said, you've been in business and you've been in the ministry. And your problem is you treat your ministry like a business and you treat your business like a ministry. And that, and, and that registered with me. Of course, she told me this about 30 years into our marriage. If I'd heard this earlier, it might have helped me a little bit. But, and that's the way it was. In my business, I, in, in my business, I treated it like a ministry. In that I would, would, would give extra service, I would take care of some widows that couldn't really afford, you know, and just do things that were more uh, of a sacrificial, loving, giving, serving style, even though I was living off, you know, my, my receipts. <laughs> you know, accounts receivable was what was, was bought my groceries and paid my taxes. But every time I had a church to pastor, which was a couple of earlier and then, and then a couple of small bivocational churches, First thing I wanted to do was get in there and straighten that thing out and line it all up and get this guy to do that, you know, and just real business-like, you know, not much of a heart, more of a head of, we got to fix this, we got to do this, we got to do that. And it would, it would work against him. We're called by God to take this fallen condition in which we have the sweat of our face and to embrace it and to turn it to the glory of God. And the reason is very simple, and the reason in conclusion is that there's something happening on the six days of labor. Not five, by the way. I know the labor unions fought for years to get a five-day work week, and we're going to celebrate that tomorrow when we celebrate Labor Day. But the Lord said, six days shalt thou labor and do thy work. There's no room for sloth. But that seventh day, all that seventh day, That seventh day is a Sabbath. And man can find rest. It's that seventh day. Oh, by the way, did you know that in the Scriptures, Christ is the Sabbath? He is that rest. 
He is that one that when God finished, God the Father finished his creation in six days on the seventh day, he rested from his labors because his work was complete. Do you know that Jesus hung on that cross? He said, it is finished. And on the seventh day, he went into that tomb to rest. Lie on that slab in that cave for a whole Sabbath day. Resting in the finished work of the atonement. And that's where our joy is. And that's where our, our meaning comes. It comes from the rest. You don't appreciate a seventh day of rest unless you've worked hard for six days. And that's what the Lord wants us to do. He wants us to enjoy, to love, to relish the relief and the restoration and the redemption of the Sabbath. That is Christ. And all of this work that the Lord did with His creation, He was always wanting to save it, to rescue it, to redeem it, And in Christ, he has rescued work. 